Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard Creative Team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. We have got a treat for y'all today, celebrated architect Stan Dixon. He's known for his classical and edited approach to architecture. His homes are utterly timeless, fitting so neatly into their surroundings. It's like they've always been there. He's been named one of Garden and Gun's new faces of Southern style. He's a three-time winner of the Southeast Architect of the Year Award by Veranda Magazine, the Atlanta Decorative Arts Center, and he's also an 11-time winner of the Philip Trimmel Schutze Award, presented by the Southeast Chapter of the Institute of Classical Architect and Art. We're delighted to chat with you today and talk about your new debut book, Home, The Residential Architecture of D. Stanley Dixon. Stan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks both. Yeah. Well, it goes without saying that looking through the book, reading the book was a huge treat. I have long been a fan of yours because I think if you open any... Atlanta Homes and Lifestyle, or any, or you're a reader of Shelter magazines, they would be familiar with your work, <laughs> which how frequently they're featured. And, um, you know, it's funny because I think even many of your projects have, we've sort of talked about them on the show when talking with other designers, some of the interior designers you worked with. So, okay. you know, some of them I'm like, okay, I, I, I recognize this. And, you know, yeah, that's true. It's fun. Yeah. Um, to start, I have a logistical question for you. Okay. And that is when and how you photograph the projects. I was curious if you went and photographed them fresh for the book, projects that you had, you know, done many, maybe years ago, or if they were sort of a compilation of things that you had photographed right after they were completed. It's a really interesting question. I When I started uh, the idea of the book, which is really almost five years ago, um, I set out to photograph projects that really represented our work. I wanted them to be very complete in their architecture, interior design, and landscape Mm -hmm. architecture. I wanted the gardens, and I wanted them to feel mature, and I wanted them to feel um, Mm -hmm. lived in. So I I chose to re-photograph the ones that had already been photographed because I wanted one eye to photograph everything in the book Mm -hmm. so that it was a complete sort of vision and one viewpoint, which Mm -hmm. I think really brought a, um, a consistency to the work within Mm -hmm. the book and, uh, incredible photographer, Eric Piasecki, um, photographed, um, it exclusively. And it was really a great treat to have him work on it. What was the like time span of the projects featured, you know, the latest I think was eight years ago, we had completed a project, one in Chicago, and that was the first one that we photographed. And then we continued to photograph over the last uh, three years, um, various projects all over the country. And it was a real treat to go and photograph each house because I was able to be there for not just Mm. an hour, but to spend three, four days in a project to see it in different light, to see the sunset, to see mm. the views of the water, if it were there or the mountains or what, wherever the project was. And to really kind of see how the house works, because when you're photographing a house and doing a photo shoot, if anybody's ever done that, you know, you kind of tear the whole house apart to 
photograph it and mm-hmm. get just the right shot at the right time of day. And it's, it's a tremendous amount of work, but I, I felt like I learned a lot. I, I got to know each project in a different way as I went through that process. Yeah. Did you find anything new in any of those spaces? Yes. I think we found a lot of the functional spaces like uh, back kitchens or pantries where we would set up all the flowers or the Mm. food for the day or whatever it might be that those spaces really did come in handy because we were trying to keep the other spaces clean and ready to photograph. Mm -hmm. But we also ended up photographing a lot of those back spaces as well. You'll see a lot of them in the book. Mm -hmm. So we had to style those. We had to clean those out. But it was interesting just to see how the house functioned and also to see the light in the house and how the light changes throughout the day. Yeah. Were you like, oh, I'm so good. This worked just like I thought it would. <laughs> uh, yes. Sometimes a surprise. Sometimes it was planned. It would both happened, but it was, uh, it was, it was really fun. I would think it would be very interesting to revisit a house that maybe you did so long ago and think like, oh, I, we actually came upon the dream that the client had or, you know. Yes. And, and sometimes the clients were there. Sometimes they wanted to go and, and, and be away and, and not see how we would <laughs> treat Destroy their it. house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we put everything back where it went. <laughs> but it was, um, it, yeah, it was rewarding to see the details that were there, whether it be in cabinet or a fireplace or a mantle mm-hmm. or an exterior patio or to see how the light caught the front facade of the house. It was, it was just really interesting. To the house's age, like to, was there anything about how they aged? Or? I would say, honestly, it was easier to photograph the ones that were older because huh. the gardens were more mature. Oh, okay. They yeah, looked yeah. more lived in. They had more things. It, would, it just felt more natural. It didn't feel mm-hmm. as much like I would say a stage set. So I actually really enjoyed the ones that had been truly mm-hmm. lived in. It was really nice. That is, that's interesting just to, because like, yeah, you're, you're kind of learning in real time, but mm-hmm. with your own project. It's not like a historic house that you're visiting, you know, abroad or, you know, something. It's like, oh, wait, I designed this. Well, you learn <laughs> then, the things that you did well. And honestly, you learn the things that you may have changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're really going to be true to yourself. And I think it's made me a much better architect going through this process of doing the book and, and really looking at my work as a collection mm-hmm. and what makes each project individual or unique and what is that story I'm trying to tell about each project. Did you anticipate that going into the book process? Like, did you know that? No, I mean, I, I knew I wanted to do a book. I knew it was the right time. I knew I had a body of work I wanted to share, but I didn't really know what the process would give me and how much Mm -hmm. I learned and got out of it. I think I'm a better architect for it as well. That's really cool. I think also it brought clarity to to myself and my thoughts about how I approach a project or a site or deal with a client and try to deliver, you know, the best that I can for them. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really rewarding. I think the diversity of our work really shows up. I think yeah, absolutely. That the work and the diversity is there for a lot of different reasons. I think we're fortunate to work in lots of places all over the country, lots of different sites, um, opportunities that are there for us. We really try to listen and pay attention to the property, the site, the, mm-hmm. the region and the location. But we're also really attuned to listening to our clients and what they want and mm-hmm. what they say, what they don't say, and, and trying to build the best house for them in that location. And I think for those reasons, each project has its own its own individual personality and brings mm-hmm. out that, that client and the soul of that client. And that's been 
something I didn't really realize completely at the beginning of the process, but as I've worked through it, the diversity has mm-hmm. really explained itself to me very clearly and something mm-hmm. I'm proud of. I I really loved how in your introductions to each project and also in Charlotte Moss's introduction, it's like a very romantic process. I mean, obviously there are less romantic parts, you know, you obviously. have to do a, <laughs> yeah. a floor plan and then, no, like, you know, there's a lot of math. There's the engineering side but, of being right. an architect. But it seems like it's in the, at least I would imagine the early stages, it's a lot of like, okay, what is your dream? Like, how do you want to, what is this romantic vision you have of, and how do you take that sort of romantic aspect and the, you know, sort of dreamy storytelling part, but actually turn that into, I guess, technical details? I think that's where success comes in, in an architect's work, because we really have to practice both sides of our brain, that, that mm-hmm. engineering, practical, mathematical side of dealing with the site, the land the structure of a, mm-hmm. of a particular place. Um, it has to stand up. It has to have walls, <laughs> but we're also being very creative with materials, with sunlight, with views, with arranging rooms and, and mm-hmm. combinations of spaces that work really well for the client's lifestyle and what they're trying to, to accomplish. And mm-hmm. that balance of all of those things that I just discussed are really what we're constantly as architects are constantly thinking of one of those pieces informs the other and how right. it all comes together collectively as a whole. And it's, it's a challenge each time you set out to do a project. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what makes our work a lot of fun. I love the challenges. Well, and what you're doing is obviously aesthetic, but you're going to be affecting the daily life and those tiny little, you know, the way your door opens and how far you're walking into the you know, I don't know, mudroom or just those teeny tiny little things that can either make your life easier or or harder. So it's all, it's a practicality. It's not just Mm -hmm. about the romance or the beauty or the story that we're telling it. It is the practicality of daily life. How far Mm -hmm. are you taking your groceries from the car to the kitchen counter or where does your mail land or all those relatively mundane things, but hugely important in Mm -hmm. how successful a house is. Do you think that most of your clients realize that going into it or are they mostly, are they mostly interested in the aesthetics or are they mostly interested in the, the practical, or maybe it's a little of both, I guess. I think most people are interested in the practical pieces. A lot of our clients are coming to us for that vision or the romance, Got it. but not all, some of them mm-hmm. have that aesthetic mm-hmm. side or that, that vision. Um, mm-hmm. Each client is different. I think our job is to kind of fill in the parts that are missing for a client. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're more aesthetic and not as practical minded or thinking about what's happening uh, in a daily life, then we kind of try to fill in that blank where they're more practical and less aesthetic and we, we balance it. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, so many, well, every um, piece that's in this book, there's, it's so site specific. Mm-hmm. How much time or like, what's your process when you're starting a project and what are some things that you do to kind of really get to understand the landscape? Because that's so important to each one of your. It's, I'm glad you said that. It's um, definitely the first step of our process. I don't start working on a project until I can physically go and be on the site mm. and, and, and yeah. spend time there looking at the sunlight, the trees, the neighbors, the whatever the case may be, the view and, and having a 
a good survey, of course. And then I begin to take the program of what that homeowner is wanting to accomplish. And then I start putting those pieces of the puzzle on that piece of property and, and trying to respect it, trying to take advantage of it, trying to honestly manipulate it in some ways to become a space that's really interesting. Um, I very interested in houses that have a good connection between the inside and the outside. And I think you will see that throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I so call it sometimes burying the threshold between inside and outside or blurring the threshold between inside and outside. And I think that creates for really interesting dynamic places to live. And I think that also pushes me to be more attuned to the exterior. It's not like we're designing a house on a computer screen or a piece of paper and plopping it on that piece of land. Each house is designed for that particular place. Yeah. Okay. What does your actual process look like when you're visiting a site? Like, are you out there in the morning or do you have coffee? How long are you there? Are you like Depends meditating? Depends on if it's hot or cold or a beautiful day. If it's a beautiful day, I'll spend all day. If it's hot or cold, it's a few minutes. No, I'm just kidding. no, no matter what the case, I really spend a lot of time taking the survey and looking at the oh, trees, sure. yeah. looking at the view, taking, you know, drawing a a line of where the view goes uh, across the house, looking at how the sun changes throughout the day, speaking with my clients, usually they're there with me through part of that time. I think that taking in um, all of the the physical properties of the land is just very important. Mm -hmm. One project in particular is a a project that's in the book that we did on Sea Island uh, in Georgia, where we had these magnificent, huge oak trees that I think there were seven of them on the property and they were immense with these low sprawling limbs that went through the property and they were all protected by Mm. the arborist on the island. So, which was the right thing to do. So we had to design a house underneath these oak trees and these limbs and how it sprawled through. And it took an immense amount of time to understand the nature of the tree species itself and the root structure and how Mm. we were going to build on top of the roots and underneath the canopy of the trees at the same time. Although it was an incredible challenge, it also was an incredible reward because the house looked like it had been there forever immediately when it was finished. So each each site is unique. That's an extreme condition of of a tree situation, but that's the type of stuff that we're looking at. and I'm sure you like what are you know those scenes of like um someone breaking in somewhere where they're like lasers yeah. and you're like okay we can't go high this right. here we can't go this high here we can. right but you also have the root structure and True. you can't you can't go you can't, you can't build we can't what? build that particular type of tree you can build close to but not okay. on top of so we have to do the foundation systems mm-hmm. differently okay. so that we're not going as deep. But we literally survey every limb of the tree of how high it is and where it's located in the property. And then it, it is very much like the little laser diagram yeah. that it's you described. It's a little impossible. It yeah. 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 Impossible. Or what's that one with the... Well, anyway. <laughs> um, okay. I, I want to rewind a little bit and ask about your background growing up in rural uh, Tennessee, sort of mm-hmm. outside of Nashville, and how, you know, you talk very romantically in the introduction about... Um, all of the historic homes that you grew up around and kind of how that influenced you. And I would love for you to share some of that with our listeners. I, I think growing up in that environment is what started my infatuation and love of houses and homes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my my grandparents lived on a farm called Riverwood Farm in Sumner County on the Cumberland River in Tennessee. And my parents lived on a house on the other end of the property. And many of my aunts and uncles and friends lived in beautiful historic homes in that area. And uh, those were the houses I were always drawn to. Those were the ones that really resonated with me as a child and a sense of hospitality and a sense mm -hmm. of finding their homes, people finding their homes important. Um, my mom was an interior decorator in Tennessee, so she was always changing things, painting things, moving furniture. So that, <laughs> uh, you know, was part of my DNA as a mm -hmm. child. I really, yeah, I loved the landscape, loved how those houses sat within the landscape and saw how important that was as well. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you also mentioned sort of later in the book that, um, going to England, you, um, found sort of how these ancient European houses were very similar or, or there was maybe a, a thread um, to, a, yes. to Southern houses. There were similarities yeah. between definitely. those houses and the Southern houses. It, it definitely is true. I, I think the Southeast or Southeastern part of the United States is probably the most similar to England in particular in that there is a connection between the land and houses and, mm -hmm. um, the waterways and the response to gardening and living indoors and outdoors. And I, I think that's the similarities that I saw when I was mm -hmm. studying in England. It was kind of fascinating. Are there any sort of practical or, you know, technical things that you drew directly from those houses into your work now? Sort I of in a modern. The, the practical side of it was seeing historically how these grand houses were truly lived in and mm -hmm. you know there there were mud rooms there there they they came in from riding yeah. with their boots and mm -hmm. and i was so drawn to some of the practical spaces <laughs> when i was studying in england True. the kitchens the back of house areas and that they they resonate perfectly into modern lifestyle that we live in today and Mm -hmm. And seeing that you can have refined things with things that are more casual and more real life. It's it's not one or the other, but a house can do both. That is so kind of funny, though, because I think it seems like a lot of people's maybe hesitation or re reservations about an old house is, oh, they won't have things like a mudroom or maybe the kitchen won't function mm -hmm. or, you know, there's always kind of. They live very practically in historic mm -hmm. terms. They had to. I mean, it was. Sure. They may not have a huge walk-in closet or, you know, some of some of the modern amenities that everyone wants in their house mm -hmm. today, but there were elements of practical life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's where the, the idea of a mudroom or what we call a mudroom mm -hmm. came from. Yeah. Right. Which they just didn't call it a mudroom. Right. Right. So what's like the tackle entry. room or the entry. I think that's really interesting because there are so many really great details in the practical spaces in, mm -hmm. in your homes and in, in the, that are featured in the book, whether it's the, the turn of, of, you know, and a stairway and, um, the pantries mm -hmm. that, that you have in there. And then there's that remarkable home on Kiowa Island that, I turned the page expecting something totally different. And I was totally transport mm -hmm. transported to an English country home. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, that was such a treat just yeah. to turn the page. And that was so, I'm glad you mentioned that because, and I said this earlier, 
in the book, I wanted to show not only the beautiful living rooms and dining rooms and bedrooms, but I, I really wanted to show how people lived in the houses. Mm-hmm. And when we photograph things with a photographer and Helen, um, our stylist, we really wanted to, to photograph these houses as if people were living in them, not mm-hmm. to feel stiff and stodgy. And I think photographing the pantries and the laundry rooms and the mud rooms really helped give the book a lot more depth mm-hmm. so that people can really see how they can live in a modern lifestyle, but still mm-hmm. in a, a beautiful house at the same time. And that those two things can both be the same house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I liked, I liked being able to see the sort of the more formal spaces. I mean, one of my favorite rooms in the house was the blush pink or was butler's <laughs> pantry. <laughs> so, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. Yeah. I mean, part, well, partially just because I like dinnerware, but I was like, oh, this yeah. is a dream. But it's, a, what, probably five foot wide. It's a narrow, long <laughs> it space. So sweet. It has a secret, two secret doors to get into it. We call it jib doors. And this homeowner had the collection of family heirlooms and things that they had collected over their um, mm-hmm. family history themselves. And we needed a place to put them. And the house is fairly austere in its interior design and decorating. But it was so much fun to create the space that was very practical. It was right off of the dining room. Mm-hmm. But everything could be put in that one space. It could all be seen. The linens, the china, the crystal, the silver. Um, so having... The luxury of having all those beautiful things that have been handed down generation to generation, being able to put them in one spot. Yeah. And then yeah. painting it that surprising blush it pink so color. Is, it's a beautiful. I'm so glad we photographed that, that oh, spot. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. such a charming spot. And to see it from the dining room, like yes. just kind of yeah. peak, yeah. is so lovely. And you wrote that you took inventory of every single piece so that there was a spot for everything, which was brilliant. Yes, we did. I mean, like, again, the platters the linens and it has it's not as if everything has an exact space to be but we knew how many teacups there were how many Mm -hmm. dinner plates how many things were in the collection and made sure there was plenty of room for it so she could see it because her thought was if i can see it i'll use it if it's Mm -hmm, just put in a box and put away in a dark closet somewhere far away i'm never going to go but if it's right there i'll go in and say oh i'll use these linens with these plates and and it can be a casual you know dinner for a few couples mm-hmm. or family members or it could be a very large dinner party but it still gives her the flexibility and yeah yeah it's kind of a treat to go in and see it all and it was such an utterly feminine space that i kind of loved that too yeah, yeah. It's like it was oh. really sweet it's like but you talk also about you mentioned the austerity of mm-hmm. the design of that space i and that was the first house that you lead with this book and mm-hmm. it's so lovely because there's so many great architectural details within that space yeah. that it's really amazing that the interior design is so toned down just to let the grand elements of that space. And that's exactly open up. what the idea was there. We wanted, even though it was a new house, a new build, we wanted it to feel as if it had been around for a hundred years and had some sense of age and history to it so we certainly mm-hmm. had a, a dialogue and a story that we were trying to tell architecturally it has moments of being quite dressy and formal mm-hmm. and that house also has some very casual spaces mm-hmm. like the kitchen and the back um pantry area which is also shown in the book um, very different than the formal spaces of the house which i think continue to tell that story that i, I was speaking mm-hmm. of earlier and i think 
Carolyn Malone, the interior designer, did a fantastic job of of letting the interiors be quiet and there but there is such a power in the edited approach to the mm-hmm. interiors that the architecture really kind of sings and it's a great example of collaboration i chose for that to be on the cover of the book and also the first story of the book for that reason i, th- I think it's strong architecturally both exterior and interior and it's a really good story of collaborating between the interior designer and landscape architect and the homeowner and mm-hmm. i think that's why i wanted to lead with it yeah. I love the playfulness. I mean, you mentioned the jib doors, but there was also, and I can't remember if it was that project, but like a, it looks like kind of a back door where the, there was like an off center, little window, interior window. And then there was kind of a funky little staircase. That, that was the back staircase. And I love that. Cause yeah. I was like, this looks like it was an, an accident. I mean that in a good way. Like yes. someone once upon a time was like, oh, we need a stair here. And so the stair was just kind that of was like that story of narrative. I was talking mm-hmm. about that. That had the story of his, if it had been the old muse or the the stable block of the house that had been yeah. adjacent to the more formal side of the house and had been turned into mm-hmm. the kitchen and the family room and back door. So I love we that. used a much more formal language of architecture, informal language of architecture there than we did in the formal rooms of the house. It was yeah. very charming. And I, th- I do think it sort of like, again, I think people also often have a hesitation with um old houses because they think they need to be grand and formal and they think, Oh, well I have a casual lifestyle and I'm casual. So how do I live in this space that's formal? Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that some of this project in particular, I thought was like, Oh, this shows you how you can have both in the mm-hmm. same house. And, you know, it doesn't have to be like the off limits living room that no one's right. allowed in, but is- it can still be dressy. There's a balance. Yes. Right. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> I, found, I found myself looking through the book and like thinking about like all of this, like spaces that we traditionally, like a lot of us live in, whether it's an older home that has quirks and details that, you know, you've got to live with or work around, or whether it's a new build that doesn't have, you know, charming elements and I just thought, like, what an absolute treat it is to build these homes with an eye for history mm-hmm. and an eye for research and, mm-hmm. and bringing in all of the, the beautiful details that you love. So how do you start to figure out which details you want to bring into a project? When we start out with the conceptual design after taking in the, the site, which we've already mentioned, then we start coming up with our narrative, our style, our our story that we're trying to tell, and then doing immense amount of research on what that might be, whether it's a historic Greek revival house near Charleston or whether mm-hmm. it's a island house that has a, a a design of more of a bohemian approach, whatever that that history is that we're trying to tell in our architecture we do the research we know all the rules we know the reasons why those rules were in place and then we start to put them together and then we start to break them and we start to be creative and to be a bit bold we don't want to in our work just replicate things that have been done in the past we want to replicate those ideas some of the influences but we want to create something that's new and different and something that's never uh, been done before mm-hmm. Okay. What, 
practically speaking, where does one do this research? Is that is there, like books? Are you going there to like old <laughs> homes in the area? I, I'm a little bit of yeah. both. Um, for example, something like near Charleston, I mentioned, I, I could walk up and down the streets of Charleston or go to some of the beautiful houses outside of Charleston endlessly and be inspired. We also have many books in our mm -hmm. library in the office. Um, we seek out other projects that have been done in similar ways. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a so mostly between traveling books, but also I think just traveling along the way. I mean, mm -hmm. that's how I've been inspiring myself for over 30 years as I've been an architect, going mm -hmm. to places, uh, experiencing them, absorbing them, uh, taking note of the details, the Mm -hmm. The way the light is coming into the room, the combination of materials that are used in a particular place or a particular house. So I, I think travel and an experience is, is huge. Mm -hmm. I always, I just picture like maybe there's some person at your office that's like, oh, they're the, you know, they did all the research around, I don't know. Yeah, what this my office <laughs> makes fun of me for is we're sitting there and somebody will bring up an idea and it might be round entry hall for example and i'm like oh oh wait one minute and i jump up and i find a book and i'm like i like can flip through that book and say here's a round entry hall i, I just over the years have been absorbing all of this and filing it into yeah. this little it's like the brain mental card catalog yeah. but, but it's fun to kind of go back and find that 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 image or mm -hmm. that and it might surprise me what it really was but it's, it's usually mm -hmm. up there somewhere Okay, you mentioned in the book that um, your wife is an interior designer. And so that in the sort of early days, I guess, of doing your house together, that changed how you designed homes for your clients. And I was curious if you could elaborate on that a little bit. <laughs> well, we both have very strong opinions. So there's been many um, discussions, uh, maybe even arguments at times, but always ends up being better when we both have our input into mm -hmm. it. Um, She's very creative, very talented, and sees things from a, a practicality point of view as an entertainer, um, mm -hmm. as someone who is decorating the house or designing the house. She, she had a, a, a background in textile design and rug design. So I see things mm -hmm. from a textile point of view. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think raising a family and having a wife who is a designer and going through the process of young children and mm -hmm. middle-aged children, now college children, and having parties and entertaining and, and really living in a house has definitely informed me on mm -hmm. how I would design things for other people and at mm -hmm. their various phases in life. I, I can't even imagine what those conversations are like, just because you, you know, you obviously have great taste and it sounds like she has she great taste. So it's yeah. like, well, if they're both great options, then like, it's kind of a win-win. Well, That's she's true. probably frustrated because I love interior design as well as uh, landscape and gardening mm -hmm. too. So I, I meddle in everything, uh, but I think that does make me a better architect because I, I kind of see how mm -hmm. it's influenced. I like design to design rooms that are furnishable. You know, mm -hmm. I, when I do a schematic design for a project, even though I'm not the interior designer, I will put furniture in the plans just so clients can see a sense of scale and they can mm -hmm. see where the bed would be in a bedroom or how many sofas can I fit in this living room? Two, one, four, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Where's the TV going to go? Um, how many bar stools fit at this countertop? I mean, it, right. all those very right. practical things. Um, and I think. As I think through that, when I'm designing a house, I think it makes it 
a little bit more fun to furnish. I mean, not always mm-hmm. do the designers <laughs> use that furniture plan. Usually they're, they're much more creative than we are, but it just, it sort of helps that process. I think mm-hmm. we think about those visual lines that go through a house. Like if you're looking down a hallway, what is your eye landing on at the mm-hmm. end of it? Or if you're sitting on the sofa, what, what are you gazing at out that window? What are you looking at beyond? So mm-hmm. it does seem like a floor plan is such a great exercise in that because i don't know there's something about looking at it from above that you're like oh mm-hmm. you're right i am gonna look down that hallway and you see it more i want right. to know what i'm looking uh-huh. at yeah. Yeah. yeah right and i think as an architect i use furniture to create spaces not just to put furniture in a room but mm-hmm. the way that you would place a seating group might be different and it could totally change the architectural feel of the room by what you put in it and how you place things within it so I see furniture spatially. Mm-hmm. Do you do the designers that you're often working with on the project come to you and say like I want a th- another window here or Absolutely. I need to change? Yeah, yeah. We and we're happy to have that input and that mm-hmm. that I call collaboration, that conversation about mm-hmm. what's the best way. And, and mm-hmm. likewise, landscape architects come with their thoughts and ideas of how we're mm-hmm. interacting with with the site. Yeah. I was curious what, you know, you have such a classical approach to architecture. And I was curious what in today's sort of trends in architecture, what you embrace and what maybe you steer clear of. (laughs) I think whether we are doing a house that is more classical or or I would say ornamented with molding and trim work and, 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 and a bit more of a historic approach or whether we're doing something that I would say is more edited in its mm-hmm. um, look and detailing all of them. I really base in classical proportions mm-hmm. so that there is a timelessness to what we're doing. I think that that helps give our projects longevity. I think mm-hmm. it, it, uh, allows for adaptation over the years. I would like to think that this house isn't being built just for this one client in this one place, but it's something that will be generational. Yeah. And what will that mean to the next person? So getting the bones of the house really Mm -hmm. right and really strong um, is, is, is very important. As far as, you know, my own personal taste or style, I I like all of the above. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a bit eclectic, but I do, like the more traditional and I like the more clean edited things as well. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as trends that I would stay away from things that would date your house, Mm -hmm. things that you would say, I built this in 2020 and in 10 years you might tire of those would be the things that I would just ask yourself the questions. Yeah. What is this going to look like in 10 years? Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned liking lots of different things that is obvious in the book. I mean, there's just such variety of materials and, um, and, but I was curious, okay, sorry, change gears a little bit. I was curious about how these are mostly new builds. I'm assuming there were a couple, there's a couple of renovations, but most of them are new builds. How do you approach a renovation differently from something brand new where you can kind of dream this dream Mm -hmm. from start, whereas you have something existing to work with? I think with a renovation, especially if it's a historic house, like one of the ones in the, in the book is it was an 1800s house. I wanted to honor that house, that, Mm -hmm. that cottage that was built in the late 1800s and how to do an addition to it and a restoration to it. That would really honor 
that that house as it should have been and not take away from that house. Mm-hmm. And so it's beginning to tell the story already. There's I wouldn't say there's less creativity. Sometimes there's maybe more creativity to make that old house live like you would want it to live today and, and to accomplish the things that clients want to accomplish. But the story is already being told. You already mm-hmm. have the opening paragraph, which you're mm-hmm. you're adding on to. Do you ever renovate a, a house, maybe not in the book, but in, in your practice that maybe isn't super architecturally yeah. significant and you're kind of like, well, what do we keep? And I mean, how do you decide what to keep if it's a house yeah. that's not? We certainly do. Um, we and, and for various reasons, sometimes it's because a house might be over a setback and we couldn't build it in that location. Mm. Or sometimes it's meaningful to the family that has lived there for generations. Um, but I think we decide to keep the pieces that we feel are strong or have the good proportions or mm-hmm. the strength and we add on to it. If it, it's a more of a bland house that doesn't mm-hmm. have a lot of character or personality that we're building onto, then we say, okay, let's tell a story. Let's mm-hmm. create that. What direction are we going to go? Are we going to make this cottagey? Are we going to make this more of a Georgian style? Mm-hmm. But we, we decide what it's going to be and we, we add on the character and the layer mm-hmm. to it to, to yeah. give it personality. Yeah. Every house needs some personality, some soul, something that makes it unique. Yeah. So I was surprised by the modern house that you feature in the book. So every other house is really just rich with history. And then boom, there's this black (laughs) modern uh, home that is really pretty fantastic. What were some of the things that you, that you went through um, in your mind when you were starting that project or finishing that project that. I think it goes back to, uh, you know, I'm fairly eclectic myself. Uh, I think, although I'm I'm classical and I, I kind of, base everything in that classical design and and proportion there's a side of me that loves very Mm -hmm. modern and interesting things too Um, that particular client she loved modern design very austere um, interiors Mm -hmm. collection of art etc he loves antiques he loves older homes Mm -hmm. so it was a real challenge for me on how to blend those two Mm -hmm. together and how to really listen to them both and make sure they were both heard and, and, and love mm-hmm. their house. And we definitely leaned more towards the modern, but mm-hmm. it's, it's warm. It still has a sense of texture. It has a sense mm-hmm. of place. It has, um, and it's a great background for their art collection too. So yes, mm-hmm. um, it, it seemed appropriate for their site. It, it's sitting in nature. It's in the mountains. Mm-hmm. It feels uh, there's no neighbors around it that it's going to make it feel like it's out of place. So it had enough landscape that it was mm-hmm. sort of set within its own. Yeah, so it gave me a little bit more flexibility to to use the house. Mm-hmm. And that's a house that has that really kind of special green Moroccan room. Yes. too, right? Correct. Okay. Again, influence. <laughs> no, I had to. I had to flip back and forth. Like this it's is the outlier. same house, right? Yeah. That. <laughs> Interesting that that room was inspired by East St. Laurent's house in Morocco. And she had a picture of that room and she had always loved it. And she, she came to me sheepishly with this photograph and she said, I know we probably can't do this, but I'm going to bring it to you anyway. And I was like, we'll figure out a way to do this. Like we will, we'll, we'll blend it together. Mm -hmm. And we didn't replicate the room. Exactly. We replicated the colors more than anything. Um, But 
we made that room feel like it belonged in Highlands, North Carolina. And yeah. I think she was so happy and she she felt very validated and heard that um, mm -hmm. we were able to make that work and, and it's her favorite room in the house now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. What would you what would your advice be to someone who is building a new a new house and they're just starting on the project? I mean, what a daunting task, but is there anything that you would My suggest? advice would be to be authentic to yourself and who you are and let your house tell your story. Mm -hmm. And I think I would also use that word authentic in the materials, uh, mm -hmm. whether the budget is big or small, be authentic to the materials being used in the house and, and appropriateness mm -hmm. uh, of those materials and keep your eye on doing something that's timeless. Um, mm -hmm. Stay away from the trends. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, trends can be great in small things, but in the architecture right. That's an expensive trend to follow. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, let let that be in the decor if you want to be on trend, but but let your architecture be um, something that you can live with for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. What what is your favorite project in the book, or maybe not in the book? <laughs> <laughs> I always say that's a very unfair question. Um, it's sort of like uh, picking your favorite child. <laughs> it's really <laughs> difficult to do. There are certain projects that come to mind when, when people ask me that question, and it goes back to, I think, the relationship with the client and the amount of um, not only trust that they're giving you, mm -hmm. but flexibility that they're giving you. But being on the same page with the interior designer, client, mm -hmm. landscape architect, everybody putting their egos aside, and let's just really trying to tell that story and tell it really well. Those are the mm -hmm. projects that I think go from being really good to really great. And I think mm -hmm. that's the clients that trust their team and let that process happen. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, they can be involved in that process and we would want them to be involved. But that element of trust really makes me work really hard. And I think it makes everybody in the design industry work hard. Yeah, it makes ma makes the magic yeah. in the end. Yeah. yeah, I was curious what, um, you know, some, the projects kind of are what, like eight to three years old. Um, what sort of things are you working on now that gets you really excited and maybe you're challenging? We are continuing to work in a lot of different places across the country. So I think working in new places is really fun. Um, starting a new project in Vail, um, Colorado, okay. which I think is going to be really, yeah. uh, really incredible project. Um, continuing to work in Virginia. We're working with Charlotte Moss on the renovation of her project in Charlottesville, which is... She mentions been, it in the, She does. In the which forward, is, yeah. It's been a, a real um, treat uh, to work with her. I think we have an incredible project in Cincinnati. We're working on things yeah. in Florida. So I, I think it's really all the different varieties of places that we're working mm -hmm. is, is what's fun. And we're working with great teams of, of people on all of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I... We've covered a lot. We've covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, this has been fun. Have I talked too much? No, no, no that's what, that's what um, that's we're here for. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just thoroughly enjoy the book and loved so many of the details from the, like the, the bamboo banister and some of the moldings are so surprising. And I think mm -hmm. if I were building a house, this would definitely be one that I would be flagging. So oh, definitely, for definitely anyone that's embarking on that yeah. kind of project, it, it's definitely a must read or just a lover Great. of old houses too. Well, I've yeah. enjoyed doing it. It's been, like I said, a real 
treat for me to mm-hmm. kind of reflect and see what we've done in the past and see what are the things that tie all the projects together and also to see the diversity amongst all of them. It's, it's been mm-hmm. really fun. It seems like something you wouldn't really have ever have an occasion to do outside mm-hmm. of a book. Like when do you look at your work as a whole? I, I don't think I would have ever done it. I, mm-hmm. I yeah. completely agree with you. I think I would have just kept my head down and kept working and working and mm-hmm. having fun. I love what I do. So it's, it's, it's a real treat to kind of stop for a moment and, mm-hmm. and reflect and see Are you how going to do another one? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so yeah. much fun. I certainly do. Yeah. Um, and I think it'll have more stories to tell. But mm-hmm. I think, I also feel like it was the right time to do a book. I mean, I feel like I have a body of work that, that I could, it can really stand on its own. I think I have a story to tell. And I talked about how books in my library are so important to me. What a treat if I can think that this book has some influence on other mm-hmm. designers, architects, clients in the future. That That's like full circle yeah. for me and a real, yeah. a real great thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We do have a question. Okay. So we have, I mean, We've had lots of questions, but we have a question from Megan that you're going to help us with. So are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Hi, Ballard ladies and guests. I wanted to share a few progress pics of my living area. I'm still working on pillows. I'm trying out a new color on the mantle. Um, please ignore the play kitchen behind the sofa. Um, the ottoman stools, chairs are all reupholstered in a solution dyed acrylic and or outdoor fabric. And I wanted to ask your guest's opinion on lighting options. I recently got a couple of pre-love chandeliers and I'm not sure which I should put where. Um, she's deciding between the living room and the breakfast nook. I'm trying to incorporate a few more modern elements, which has been tricky. I always gravitate toward the traditional option. The glass visual comfort chandelier, um, is, is it too modern? And then there's also a bamboo chandelier with black and gold line shades. Both are similar in diameter to the light currently in the living room. Um, the gold lanterns in the kitchen and entry hall are staying. Your advice is always so helpful. Many thanks. Megan. Yeah, she, she's written before. I want to say she's in Denver. But she doesn't mention, but I, she has written before. So I yeah. remember <laughs> this, this room. And she's got two blue velvet um, sofas. She's got sort of some leather um, slipper chairs. And she has, you know, she obviously loves blue and white. She's got chinoiserie lamps and some chinoiserie plates on the wall. But her sort of great room is she's got a breakfast nook, a living room, and a kitchen all sort of connected. So what do you think about these these fixtures? Those fixtures are great looking. Like I've mentioned earlier in this podcast, it's all about the relationship of what else is in the room. So you can't really pick one by itself. Mm. My thought is I would go with the bamboo fixture because I feel like it is in better contrast to the light fixtures hanging over the island. Mm -hmm. I think the glass Mm -hmm. and brass one that's more contemporary looks very similar to the ones over the island. So I think it'd be a little bit um, more interesting to have something that was unique and I would suggest putting shades on that bamboo light fixture because mm-hmm. I think it would be softer, prettier light in the room than just the harsh light bulb itself. So she's put, so is she putting the bamboo one in the living room or over the breakfast nook? I, oh, I see the breakfast nook. Oh, it's which mm-hmm. one is where? She, well, she was saying, should I, which one should I put where? Or 
she could even not use either if you I would put the bamboo one over the breakfast table. Okay. And the more modern one in the living room because it's in I think better contrast to the oh, I see what you're um, okay. to the blue and white lamps mm-hmm. in the room and some of the other traditional elements there. Yeah, it's almost like what she do doesn't have as <laughs> Well, I was concerned that the that the more modern one would get in the way of they have the television over the uh, mantle. Good point. good point. Yeah. So I was concerned about that. If it was just a sitting room, totally mm-hmm. go big and drama. But yeah, it's hard to see because or hard to tell because she does she want to see the television from the island or it almost makes me wonder if she needs a chandelier in the family. That's room. what I was thinking. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of light fixtures hanging. I think I would agree with that, with the TV mm-hmm. being where it is, that I would do the one over the breakfast table mm-hmm. and not do anything in the living room. If she needs more light, add lamps. Mm-hmm. She's got a lot of lamps already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got at least yeah, four I, or five I, that I can see. Five. Yeah. Oh, I see five. So she's, yeah. And she's got some cans. So, yeah, she may not need the actual light. Yeah. I do love the bamboo on that breakfast table because there's a there's less going on over there, so mm-hmm. she can but add some kind of, character to yeah, that spot. Right, she can afford to add some sort of lines and detail. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really fun chandelier. It is, and I think some some shades, so maybe some like patterned or colored mm-hmm. shades, uh-huh. some sort could be fun because she obviously loves a pattern. I mean, she's got. Pattern on pattern. She's, it's very layered. This is such a great space. I really like Yeah, mm-hmm. She's done a very good job. Good job, Megan. Okay. Well, there you have it. And send us some more photos once you've made this change and let us know what you choose. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's our show. Stan, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, and pick up your brand new book? First of all, I want to say thank you for being here. It's been a real treat. It's been fun. My first podcast, but I've Hope I can do some more others over the time. Um, the book is uh, published by Rizzoli, so you can buy it through Rizzoli or you can buy it on Amazon. It is going to be out September 12th, I believe, but you can pre-order whenever you would like. So hope you enjoy it. Well, I'm, it's a great book. Yes, it's a good it one. It really was fun to go through. I always love the words, too. So I appreciated all of the introductions and they really it's worth it's worth reading not just flipping through and seeing the pictures that's that's good to hear (laughs) yeah i always think it's a challenge with architecture books because a lot of people don't want to read they just want to look at pictures but you have to say enough that it gives Mm -hmm. the people who do want to read about it the information that they're looking for and i think it tells a little bit more about the story i am very pro words Mm -hmm. in the book because that gives you all the context right and without any of the context you are missing so much information and it's just pretty pictures yeah yeah and so i we we read the books here on the podcast so (laughs) we do we have standards (laughs) (laughs) anyway well thank you so much it was such a fun read and um i'd love to have you back when the the next book comes out (laughs) i'll let you know thank you so much and that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time. 
Happy, Happy decorating! decorating.